mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Brett Miller is the author of The Baby Changing Station. This was guest hosted by Juliana Goldman. 
Rhett Miller is a singer-songwriter known for fronting the popular rock band Old 97s. Between projects with the Old 97s, Miller has released six solo albums, most recently 2018's The Messenger. In addition to his songwriting, Miller has branched out to write fiction and nonfiction. He has authored short stories, essays, and articles that have been featured in Rolling Stone, Book Forum, Sports Illustrated, McSweeney's The Atlantic, and Salon. When not on tour, Miller resides in New Paltz, New York with his wife and two children. He was actually kind enough to have me on his podcast. Rhett Miller, author of The Baby Changing Station, coming to us from your car. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) So I love this book so much because as somebody who reads many, many children's books every single night, it can sometimes be mind-numbing. And I really appreciate when authors make them fun for the parents as well. And I felt like this was just on every page, like a little chuckle for me as well. It's funny, one of the sections I've ended up reading a couple of times is where James lists off his dad's favorite bands. Uh And so there's like a list of band names that happens in this kid's book that includes the Kinks, he calls them the Van Halens, (laughs) Sly and the Family Stone. I don't think there's any kid's book out there with the Kinks appearing in it. Certainly not (laughs) one that I've read, for sure. So let's just like a background to this book. You know, it asks the fundamental question that every older child faces at one point in their life, which is, (laughs) would you trade in your younger sibling if someone offered you something really, really cool? Tell us the backstory. (laughs) Uh, I grew up in Dallas and I'm the oldest of three kids. And my my little brother, who's so funny, I'm 52 and he just turned 50, my little baby brother. And um, when my parents brought him home from the hospital, I was so mad. I was so, I was livid. And I went and I stood in the corner and I wouldn't turn around. And there was some intimation that they walked in and found me with a pillow uh, holding it over him. (laughs) I'm not saying I was going to like smother my brother, but I think it was on the table, right? So I was very jealous of the attention this incredibly cute younger kid was getting. And I never forgot that. I mean, he and I, as close in age as we were and as different as we are, he, you know, he played football and he, we just were, you know, very different kids. So inevitably we were really competitive. So when it came time to think of um, a follow-up to my book, uh, my book of poems, I wanted one story. And I thought about when I was little, you know, one of the main storylines of my young childhood was the introduction of these interlopers, my little brother, and then eventually my little sister, Ross and Christy. Flash forward, by the way, I love them both so much now. And that's really the engine of this book is the idea that you don't know when you're presented with this initial threat to your dominance of the household. You don't know that it won't be long before they become you know, an, an integral part of your everyday happiness. And and so that was really what drove the the narrative in this story. And and I really loved these characters. And I loved getting to watch their relationship as I was writing the book evolve to the point where at the end, I honestly, when I when I realized what I wanted the the last page to be, I got really choked up. Yeah. <laughs> it was very sweet. I, I mean it just it meant so much to me that that I got to sort of relive the my my own love for my younger siblings and then kind of invent these characters and live there this moment of of bonding for them. Well, it's so nice because I think older siblings can read it and say, okay, someday they're gonna be my best friend and I don't need to trade in, trade them in for 
a guitar and younger siblings can read it and say, okay, someday your older, your older brother or sister, they're going to get it too. And they're going to be your best friend. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a sweet story and I think it's realistic. Like I think it's, I think it's okay to address the thornier uh, parts of childhood. I think it's not just okay, but it's important because when we deny that we all go through these kind of tricky moments um, throughout our lives. But really, in childhood is where I think things get glossed over the most because it's just easier to say, you know, don't think about that. That doesn't exist. Go play. I think it's important as parents that we give kids a space to talk about the trickier parts of childhood because, you know, it's so it's so easy to kind of gloss things over for kids because we get to you know, we get to boss them around a little bit. No, don't worry about that. Go play. Everything's fine. But when you give kids a space to address the things that make them feel, you know, threatened or overlooked, I I feel like that's a really valuable thing. And you're teaching them tools that they can use in later life to self-advocate. And that's something I've got kids. The reason I started writing kids books to begin with was because my kids were little and we read all the books and we wanted more. And I thought I could maybe engage them if I were working on poems and books. And now they're one of them just went to college and the other is about to. And the fact that we aggressively pursued this agenda of our kids standing up for themselves, addressing what they were dealing with, the the, the trickier things, the it's okay to be unhappy and it's also okay to find a path back to happiness. I feel like it's really serving them well now in their, you know, young adult lives. So I have a question about that because I feel like um, parenting strategies have definitely changed from when we when we were growing up. And so I've I've, I've wondered about that. How have you seen that kind of like approach to parenting shape your children as they've gotten older versus the way that some of us were? I, you know, personally raised being told you don't need to feel that way. You know, you have something's something's bothering you. Just focus on something else and move on. Boy, I, I think anytime you can look a kid in the eyes and talk to them about something that's real, you know, and really let them tell you what they're going through assume on their part a level not only of intelligence and savvy, but also a level of self-awareness that I think we often rob kids of. I think it's important to, to give them that opportunity and they will surprise you. Like for me, not just with vocabulary, but that was something early on I decided like, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna hold back with my kids. I, I mean, not, not in terms of, you know, potty words <laughs> necessarily, <laughs> but just in terms of like big words, you know, Tencent words. I, I spoke to them assuming a level of intelligence on their part that they have always rose up to. And I think that there is an emotional analog where you can say, if you assume that they have a depth of feeling that they maybe just don't have the emotional uh, language to express yet, and then you let help them find it, give them a space to find it, that's going to serve them well, not just in the moment, but in the long run as well. Well, actually, that brings us back to the book, because I loved in the book how you empowered the older brother to change the baby's diaper, right? Because every parent is, gets into that, having been a parent in a pizza uh, restaurant where my child suffers a blowout and having <laughs> and looking down and being like, oh, God, 
I really don't want to have to deal with that. I wish my kid was old enough to, but I love it. You in the book, you see, the parents look at the older brother and they say, you know what? You're old enough. It's time. <laughs> I know for me, um, one of my favorite things when my kids were little was being able to help like on the basest level. If I could change a diaper and I changed every diaper that was in, in play, I went for it because especially as a dad, there's so you, you, the list of things you can really do on a day-to-day basis when kids are really little is, is so limited because, you know, they, they end up leaning so much on the mom. And so I felt like diaper changing, that's, that's something I can absolutely do. I've spent at that point, you know, 20 plus years in a rock and roll band. I don't mind gross stuff. I can handle this. And so I changed every diaper I possibly could. And I think that it's, you know, it's, it's a great example of how members of the family, maybe not just the dad that aren't the mom can step up and really be of service. And, and, you know, it takes a village and your family is your first little village. And, and so I know when it came to my little brother and sister, when I was growing up, I made a lot of dinners granted, most of them were nachos in the microwave to begin with. But I made a lot of dinners. I made a lot of school lunches. I did a lot. Uh, once I was able to drive, I did a lot of shuttling around. You know, I would go to father-daughter dances when my dad couldn't be there with my little sister. I think it's I think it's really important that we emphasize the family unit and, and strengthen the bonds within the family unit. And to me, changing diapers is about, uh, is, is about as perfect an example of something you can really bring to the, the table, as it were, uh, of anything. Before we move on, what you mentioned you you saw gross stuff in um, your your career in a rock band. What's like the PG thirteen version of the grossest stuff that you saw? <laughs> okay, so even now, my my band will have been together for thirty years next year, and even now, we just did a tour where we wound up in Syracuse one night for a show, and the dressing room. Every square inch of the wall was covered in graffiti. The couch was held together with duct tape. It was there were literal bugs in uh. the dressing room, and I had to like like change into my cool rock and roll shirt. And you know, I had to like leave my bag with my personal belongings in that room. And I'm thinking, these are the things I do for art because I love my job. And if every night was like this, I might not be willing to do it. But if I have to deal with bugs and graffiti and a duct tape couch for one night out of a three week tour, I can do this. But yeah, it's there's some there's some dark moments <laughs> on the rock tour. Way darker than a blowout. <laughs> and then real quick back to the book. I loved also how you um, had the baby changing station in a men's room. Talk about why that's important. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's funny because to me, maybe it's because I live in a very liberal little town in, in the Hudson Valley of New York. And I, maybe I feel separated as a parent. Like in the, in, uh, when I tour, I see all the differences between all the, the subtle differences between the parts of the country and the world. But it didn't really occur to me that it was a big deal that the baby changing station is situated in a men's room. But once the book was out, I kept hearing from people that they were so glad that I made a point to have a baby changing station in the men's room because we still have lots of places around the world where that's not the case. And the more I looked into it, I discovered that's really a thing. Baby changing stations are only in women's rooms or maybe if there's a family restroom. And I that had not even occurred to me. And the fact that we are still so behind the times around the world in terms of of um, you know gender duties with regards to parenting, and that was that blew my mind. But I, I hope we can move past that quickly because everybody needs to change diapers. Come on, people. Yeah, sorry, I don't know. Maybe just because it's a rainy day, but I had to chuckle when you said gender duties. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you about the book. When you like, what's the process of writing a children's book? Do the does because you've partnered with the illustrator. How do you collaborate? Do you write Do you write first and then he does a first set of drawings? Does he do a first set of drawings? And then you write to the, the images. Tell us about that. The first time I collaborated with Dan Santat, who is the best in the business, which, by the way, on a, on a, a brief aside, a little lesson I learned from the first uh, book, No More Poems, when that was finished and I was working with Megan Tingley, the great editor at Little Brown Young Readers, I had heard an interview with this illustrator, and I, I don't really know anything about kids' literature world, but I'd heard this interview with Dan Santat. And I went to Megan and said, do you think we could get this guy? I heard an interview of Dan Santat. And she said, well, he's the best illustrator in the world right now. There's no way we could get Dan probably, but don't get your hopes up, but I'll reach out. Turned out Dan is a fan of the band and loved the poems and was willing to do it. And so with the second book, which was a standalone storybook, I wrote the whole book, I, and, but I knew in my mind that Dan would be able to bring it to life and that he would be able to make these kids pop and to make like a big chunk of the book, obviously, again, chunk is set in a bathroom. And so I knew that Dan would find a way to make that not just palatable, but exciting and fun. And, and he did. I mean, he really is the best in the world, but he also is 
like one of us. The fact that he and I went on a book tour together for the last book and we appeared in front of lots of little kids, seeing him interact with an entire grade school of kids in a gymnasium and just bring them to tears, rolling on the floor laughing. And he's so great and so funny and really so generous because I think that is what comes through in his illustration and in his collaboration. So I, I brought him the book, but he definitely just... Mm, built the world with his illustration. What other books has he illustrated for that people might recognize? So Dan, Dan won the Caldecott for his book, The Adventures of Beekle. Okay. And also written After the Fall, a book called Are We There Yet? He's illustrated a, a, a almost countless number of books, but he's great. He's 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 got a new graphic novel memoir that just came out that's really beautiful. I I think the world of Dan Santat. When you write, do you have a tune in your head, or when you read when you read your books, is there a tune to the lyrics? It's funny you ask that because there is a definite throughway from songwriting, which is my main job to the the poems originally and then this book it's a long book and it has one rhyme scheme throughout um one syntax and meter formula throughout the whole book and when i came up with the concept i i lived with the idea for a while you know with the question of who would be this older brother who would be this younger brother and then i i had a flash of inspiration and I got the first, the opening uh, stanza of the book, which is, people have names and my name is James. I'm a regular 10-year-old kid. And there was something so jaunty about that. It felt almost like an Irish jig or something. It was a da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da-da. And so I thought that was musical, but more importantly, I thought that was sustainable. I knew it was a complicated cadence and a complicated rhyme scheme because it's almost like a limerick like it has it's built around like um it's a sandwiched set of rhymes and then it's got an internal rhyme it's there's a lot going on is my point and i had to sustain that for you know 32 stanzas or 64 however many it is a long long stretch and there's places where i know i stretch the uh syntax and the cadence a little bit but I know that my favorite books always did that. Like the books I was reading, my kids, sometimes it took you the second reading to figure out where some of the rhymes landed and where some of the emphasis landed within the within the meter. But um, but I thought I thought these books bear repeating and rereading. And I thought if anything, it would, you know, draw people back in. Because my favorite art is art that comes with layers. And so not only are there layers of meanings, but of meaning, but just within the book, the the sound of the stanzas themselves sort of have layers and you get to dig into them as you as you reread. So you have the book with you. Is there a section you'd want to read? Your favorite section? I know you mentioned the 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 last stanza but we don't want to give it away so is there another section you'd want to read for for listeners sure you know you brought it up because i think it's pretty fun the moment where they're out at the family pizza night and they've just eaten you know way too much pizza and let's see so they've just leaned back in their seats and rubbed their tummies and everyone is full and we go to, 
And th- there's a great picture, very determined looking face and all pr- basically quivering. And everybody is looking at him in wide eyed horror at the table. And it's, and it goes, that's how they were when little Joe stirred and let out a tiny whimper. We could all tell by the subsequent, <laughs> hold on, I'll restart. <laughs> that's how they were when little Joe stirred and let out a tiny whimper. We could all tell by the subsequent smell he'd loaded up his diaper. Dad blinked his eyes like he was surprised or super exhausted, maybe. Mom said, no way. I've had him all day. It's your turn to change the baby. They stayed in their chairs, glaring their glares. My brother just sat there and stank. They turned in their seats and they both looked at me and my 10-year-old stomach sank. People have names, and my name is James, but normally dad calls me J-Bone. Tonight was not normal. He sounded all formal. James, my son, this is a milestone. Your mother and I need assistance tonight with your brother and his situation. In that bathroom right there to the left of your chair, there's a baby changing station. You may be a kid, but it's time that you did some diaper duty too. That word made me snicker, but why not? I figured. I mean, what else could I do? <laughs> and then the book goes from there. <laughs> and then he's presented with a uh, with a terrible choice. Should he trade in his baby brother for this uh, these three options of really cool toys and gadgets, or does he let the little guy stick around? <laughs> what do you love to read? I read fiction. I love stories. I love I love mystery novels. Sometimes I read uh, action adventure stuff when I want to be brainless. Sometimes I read proper literature. I think my favorite book is probably Underworld by Don DeLillo, which is a really dense book uh, that sort of captures like the, the the American story. But I really loved to read when my kids were little. I really loved to read poetry with them. Shel Silverstein was something we came back to over and over again. You know, the the way that he would, again, he would address really, you know, deep problematic moments of childhood, uh, but he would make them light. He would let them into the conversation, but then he wouldn't let them win. He wouldn't let them have too much weight. He would let those just be problems that we all deal with. And there is, there's a way to get to the other side of them. And so in, in my work, that's really something I've thought about a lot. Like I really want to be real, but I also want to always emphasize and always land on a place of hope. Do you carry around a notebook or do you take notes in your phone for when you get inspiration? I do all of the above. I carry around multiple physical notebooks, old, old-timey old paper notebooks. Um, I carry a, a big one for songwriting, a little one for just ideas. Um, I do utilize the notes section like everyone else now in my phone. Uh, I also will record in the recording app on my phone where uh, a lot of times I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have a an idea for a rhyme or an idea for a story. And, and in the dark, I'll hit the recording app and I'll just mutter something um, in my my sleepy voice into the phone. And sometimes I even go back and listen to it. <laughs> what is next after the baby changing station? Is there a sequel? Is there another children's book that you're working on right now? 
I've been talking about what the next book might be with Megan Tingley, my brilliant editor. Um, I, I tend to do too much. I've got um, a solo record called The Misfit that just came out uh, two weeks ago. I'm about to go into the studio and record another album with my longtime band, Old 97s. Um, I do have some uh, some pieces of adult fiction that I return to in my mo- most sort of hopeful moments as a, as a writer. My, my longtime dream is to write a novel. Uh, I do wind up writing a lot of essays. But um, there is another kid's book that I will eventually uh, get to. It's funny, right now I've got two or three beginnings. And I don't want to do it unless it's a story I really care about. And one thing I keep coming back to now is aging grandparents. Mm-hmm. I think there is, uh, I think there's a story about grandkids and grandparents and how they deal with each other, especially when those grandparents start to enter that stage where they're no longer as capable as they once were. And it's, it can be so heartbreaking. And that's not a story I want to tell, the heartbreaking part of it. But there's something really beautiful about that, the connection that the, that the, the little kids have with their grandparents and being able to see the generational handoff, you know, like the, the wisdom that can be imparted. So that's something I think about a lot. I think that if I can find a way to emphasize the joy in that moment, that intergenerational moment, I think that could be a really great story. Now, great. Now I told it and somebody's going to steal it. No, I, I love that idea because I think probably it's one of those issues where adults see that relationship very differently than the child. Like the child doesn't see, like the child doesn't approach it with the same hangups as the, the children of the, of the grandparents. Right. So there's something very like pure and innocent in that. Yeah, and as the grandparents become less of the the movers within the family dynamic and more of you know sort of passengers, it's almost like those grandparents are becoming more like those kids, mm-hmm. you know. And and in in a way, that bond can even grow deeper at that it, it, during that stage. I think there's a way to do it. To me, that's what's challenging. That's what's exciting. Like what I want to you know address something that doesn't get addressed enough, perhaps. Well, if anyone can do that with the the brilliance of of prose it's you so thank you Rhett Miller we appreciate it and thank you for making bedtime and story time quite a bit more entertaining thank you so much for having me this is great and it's a great podcast and and uh, I really appreciate you doing the interview I, so great thank you thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moon.
MyPillowPrincess.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.